Good morning, River City. I'm just going to say it like this. I miss you. We find ourselves here April 5th, 2020, Palm Sunday, isolated from one another, unable to gather together for worship, unable to gather for communion. And to be honest, we don't like it. Well, I don't like it anyway. Now, sure, some of you enjoy the extreme introversion. Some of you are finding out that what you call normal life is actually called social distancing. Who knew? Some of you extroverts are feeling the dread set in of being stuck alone with only screens and long-distance waves to neighbors from across the street. Only those things allowing you to have any connection at all. Kids who might normally be away at school or have evening activities are home. And apart from their friends, apart from their normal routines, apart from what they know to be fun, we do seem to be in extraordinary times. And in many ways we are. And I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to believe that extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. But is that always the case? Over the past number of weeks, I've been bombarded with options. So have you. There are so many things that we could do, but what would God have us to do? And more specifically, what would God have me do? And what I'm finding is that the Spirit of God is gracious to call me back to some really ordinary things. Sometimes extreme circumstances call for extreme solutions, but from a kingdom perspective, we often see Jesus accomplishing extraordinary things through very ordinary means. And we'll see that in our passage today, I think. Turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, starting in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 19. Luke chapter 6. Verses 12 through 19. This is the word of the Lord for us today. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas the Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases." And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them all. This is God's good and sufficient word. May it feed our hungry souls. Amen. In the midst of our normal, regular lives, we can feel overwhelmed for sure. And right now, at this time in our history, we can feel particularly overwhelmed. If we're honest, we have, over the past number of weeks, really wrestled with feeling helpless, haven't we? I mean, what can we really do? The solutions to our current problems are far above my pay grade. Probably yours. We we don't seem to have, in our capacity, the ability to solve the gigantic, big problems around us. This is extraordinary, and we are mostly ordinary. Luke's gospel tells us 
over and over again that Jesus' mission was to seek out and save the lost. His mission was an invasion. The kingdom of God invading creation in order to restore the broken, redeem the sinner, tear down man-made systems and self-righteousness, and build for himself a people from every tribe, language, and tongue. This was a massive undertaking. Jesus' mission is a history-shaking, extraordinary mission. And what we see here in Luke is that Jesus uses ordinary means to accomplish this extraordinary mission. Here's a few things I see very clearly in the text. Jesus prays. Jesus chooses disciples, calls them apostles, and Jesus goes to those who need him, invites his disciples along. First, let's look at verse 12. In these days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke tells us that Jesus went to a quiet place to commune with God, to just be with his Father in prayer. And Luke says he did this all night. Luke is not shy to highlight for us the priority that Jesus puts on prayer. We see over and over again in Luke's gospel the focused time where Jesus pulls away from the crowds and pulls away from the busyness and the noise in order to spend time with his Father. Why? Have you ever thought about why? Isn't he God incarnate? God in the flesh? Fully God and fully man? But being fully God, doesn't doesn't his divine authority seem to extend everything he touches? Surely he doesn't need the quiet to talk to God. It, It does. But Jesus being fully God and fully man... He seems to be here disciplining himself and humbling himself in order to, according to his humanity, seek the will of his Father and draw wisdom and and strength that's necessary for the task ahead of him. Draw it from the wellspring of wisdom and power and strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. See, already the opposition to Jesus is growing. We've seen it in the past couple of weeks with Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders of the day. And he knows what's coming. He knows the cross is looming. And this opposition will grow and grow until finally those who hate him will kill him. So Jesus pulls away to quiet places to pray, to commune with the Father, and to draw upon the strength of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is recognizing the significance of the situation, the importance of the mission. And he does something so incredibly ordinary when he sees it. He just pulls away, steps aside from everything else and prays. And I'm willing to bet that many of us find prayer challenging. Maybe not all of us. Sometimes we're distracted by the other people who live in our house. Are you working from home right now? Or trying to? Like, forget it. There's always a little person in our homes who needs our attention after just a few minutes, right? And even if we are able to get time away, oftentimes, for me, it's not other people's voices clamoring for my attention. It's the loudness going on in my own head. It's, it's trouble shutting off my own brain. My own voice is loud enough. But Jesus is setting an example for us. 
You feel overwhelmed? You feel out of options? You feel in over your head? You feel anxious? You feel depressed? Do you feel dangerously close to the edge of your ability to cope? What does it look like to bring all those things to the Father in prayer? 1 Peter 5 tells us to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Did you catch that? God the Father, He God the Father, sovereign King of the universe, the one who hung the stars and the planets in the sky, He cares for you. And the invitation from 1 Peter is to cast our cares before Him. Just lay them all out there. He's big enough. Our Father can handle all our anxieties and our cares. In just a moment, we'll see that Jesus is going to be building his team of apostles from this larger group of disciples. This group is going to be the core team of the first church plant, the establishment of his church, his new covenant people. And so he has to choose carefully. Further, he knows where this mission is heading. Like we said before, it's heading all the way to a bloody cross and a cold tomb And it will end in a glorious resurrection, but he has to go through the cross first. And so what does Jesus do in the midst of overwhelming anxiety potentially and and challenge and the weight of all that's to come? Jesus pulls away to pray. Now perhaps prayer has this stigma for you that prayer is some kind of spiritual superpower. Maybe you feel, I don't have that gift Maybe you've been in a context where other people seem to pray these great and glorious prayers and yours feel like a stutter. But prayer is really an an ordinary thing. It's the honest, humble, vulnerable conversation that a beloved child has with their good father. In Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. Not with many rambling words, not to be seen and heard by other people, But just to simply go to the Father, Jesus says, you can pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't simply have to be a repetition of what's known as the Lord's Prayer here from Matthew chapter 6. But this serves as a a template for the kind of communion, the kind of humble conversation that Jesus has with his Father and that we can have with the Father. We come to God. We honor him and worship him for he is holy. We submit our will to his will. We ask for his kind and generous provision for all we need. We plead for his grace to forgive us and his grace to work in us so that we might forgive others. We ask for his protection and his help to overcome the attacks of our enemy who seeks to destroy us. So if I can encourage you in this extraordinary time to consider the call to lean in to prayer. It doesn't have to be all night like Jesus, but even just put the words to the prayer from Matthew 6 in a few places in your house. As you're going about your day, stop and speak to your Father. Ask the Spirit of God to quiet your heart and mind and then listen. The first ordinary means that Jesus employs is prayer. And we're invited to do the same.
Look at verse 13. And when day came, Jesus called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. We'll get to their names here in a second. But the next thing Jesus does is he builds a team. From among the larger group of disciples, there's a bunch of people following Jesus. Apparently that crowd of people who wanted to get close to him was growing. From among that larger crowd, he chooses 12 men. And Luke tells us he named them apostles. Disciples were followers. Apostles were ambassadors. So among all these people that wanted to align themselves with Jesus, I want to follow that guy. He calls from among them 12 whom he says, I will put my name and my mission on your tag, on your name tag. You all want to follow me. I want you 12 to represent me. Ambassadors of the mission and message of Jesus. Now let's look at those names. Verse 14. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, another Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. What a team of nobodies. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John are fishermen. Just regular blue-collar fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector, so he might have had a little bit of money, but he wasn't particularly well-liked, didn't rank high in social circles. The other James's dad was named Alphaeus. That's what we know about him. The other Simon was known as a zealot, which either meant he belonged to a group of Jewish nationalists who desired to overthrow the Roman government, or that he was just a really excitable guy, or both. We don't know. And then Judas, son of James, and the other Judas, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Judas Iscariot was the one who ultimately betrayed Jesus to be arrested and ultimately crucified. Now, funny how of all the biblical names people choose for their kids, you don't really hear Judas used very often. Gee, I wonder why. In any case, Jesus calls these 12 men. And Luke isn't the only place that these names are recorded. Matthew 10, Mark 3, here Luke 6, and then in Acts 1, we see these lists of the disciples. And the order of the names is sometimes switched around a little, and sometimes there's a Jewish or Aramaic name used, and sometimes a Greek name is used. But in each account, the groupings of the names break down into the same three groupings. There's a slide of it here, if you can see it. Each start with Simon Peter, along with Andrew, Andrew James, and John. And then the next groupings all start with Philip and and include Bartholomew, who's also called Nathaniel, Matthew, and Thomas. And then the third grouping starts with James, the son of Alphaeus, and include Jonas, son of James, who's also sometimes called Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Except for in Acts 1, where Judas is left off because he is dead. And what's remarkable about this group of men is that they are utterly unremarkable. <laughs> no one of nobility maybe a couple with some money, but nobody of royal birth or high social class, no one connected to the religious or political elite, just a bunch of regular blue and white-collar guys with regular jobs. Ordinary. And Jesus chooses them and calls them to follow him. And not just follow him, but to now represent him. This should be 
for you and me? Remarkably encouraging. See, Jesus doesn't choose these men because they're smart or creative or well-connected. He doesn't choose them because they're entrepreneurial or charismatic or good with people or outgoing. In fact, we have no idea the criteria that Jesus seems to be using here. All we know is that Jesus spent the entire night in prayer with the Father and then in the morning got up and gathered his disciples together and chose for his good and gracious purposes those who would join him on mission. This is a picture of salvation by grace through faith. We should identify with the disciples here. For no external reasons that anyone can see, Jesus calls these disciples to be united with him, to identify with him, and to join him on his mission. This is a picture of the gospel call to you and me. Paul tells Titus to uh, remind the church in Titus chapter 3. He's written to Titus, who's leading a church, and he says, Titus, remind them of these things. We ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves were disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We passed our days in malice and envy. We, hated, we were hated by others, and we hated one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done in us, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Jesus calls ordinary men and women to himself. It is their union with Jesus that sets them apart. Jesus chooses ordinary people, and that is good news for you and for me. And if you look back at verse 13, he chooses from among those following him and names them apostles. So not only does he call ordinary people to himself to be his disciples, come, follow me, be near me, be with me, but then he uses those same ordinary people as ambassadors. Again, there's not super disciples here. The same fishermen, the same doubters, the same social outcasts, the same deniers. He calls them to himself and then sends them out. The scene in Luke's gospel is a picture of our walk as disciples of Jesus and ambassadors of the kingdom. We are called from darkness to light. We are chosen in Christ to be his disciples. Our identity is now hidden in him. And we are ambassadors of this gospel, of this Savior, of this message to the world around us. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is our calling from death to life, from old creation to new creation. All this is from God, Paul continues, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself, made us right with God, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Paul continues, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
God rescues us and then turns us loose to share and carry on that message that God redeems us in Christ. Why would God do this? Why not choose someone else? Someone more charismatic. Someone who is smarter. Someone who's better looking. Someone who actually likes people. Someone less cynical. Someone without so many scars. Somebody less broken. But that's not how God works. He uses ordinary means to accomplish extraordinary things. He chooses things the world would call foolish. Question. Do you tend to doubt this? Maybe in yourself. Perhaps your view of yourself is so low that you find it hard to see anything lovable or worthwhile in you at all. Can I lovingly remind you that grace is unmerited? In fact, that's the point. We don't measure up. We are welcomed not according to what we bring to the table. We are welcomed according to God's inconceivable mercy. That's the beauty of the gospel. We don't clean ourselves up. The Spirit brings faith in our hearts. We see the glory of God's grace to us and we turn from our sin in repentance and we run to Jesus. He welcomes us in our brokenness to turn from our sin and to run to Him. Or maybe you hear me talk about being ambassador and you feel a little paralyzed. Like, what could you possibly do? Where do you even start? What does it even look like? Let's look at the last couple of verses and see what we can find. Verse 17 tells us that after Jesus calls out these 12 men, he says, um, Luke says, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And Luke says that a great crowd of people had gathered from all over. People from all over the region came to him for two reasons, Luke says, to hear him, and to be healed. See, Jesus went down to the lost and invited his disciples to go with him to preach and to heal. First, Luke says people came to hear him. Remember, Jesus taught as someone with authority. He told parables that challenged people's perceptions and expectations. He spoke directly to the heart of people in their time of need. And when they heard him speak, they were astonished and they were filled with hope. He spoke the truth of God's word in love. And as people heard, they repented and rejoiced and followed him. They came to hear him. And second, Luke says, they came to be healed. They needed help. They recognized they were sick. And clearly, this man was their doctor. And Jesus proved his ability to give them the help that they needed. They brought to Jesus all their hurts and pains, their physical brokenness and their spiritual brokenness. And Luke tells us the crowd sought to touch him because they had seen his power to heal on display. And they knew if anyone could help, Jesus could help. Now Jesus' preaching ministry and healing ministry seem extraordinary, and in some ways they are, but but look again, he's using ordinary means. Preaching and teaching and offering compassionate help to people. Ordinary words, empowered by the Holy Spirit, have the power to open blind eyes and bring healing to broken hearts. Ordinary hands, empowered by the Spirit, bring help and healing that often goes beyond just the physical. 
And Jesus goes with his disciples. They're being invited into life with Christ and being invited into his life, they're being invited into his mission. So you and I are also called as disciples of Jesus. And we are also sent as ambassadors of the kingdom. And like the 12, we are called to pick up the message of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. This is the ordinary life of the follower of Jesus. Not just for pastors or those who have studied theology or those who can teach well. This is our collective identity. We are called to be agents of hope in our gospel proclamation and agents of help in generous and sacrificial service to others empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like for us to live out this ordinary life right now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this crisis in which we find ourselves? Here are some really practical things we can do right now as part of our ordinary lives as Christians. And these are really, really practical. But here's what I have. I have have five of them. Well, six of them, but five, six of them. We continue to sit under the word of God. We, We try to gather or share together under the word of God like this. In this, we are reminding ourselves of our shared identity and purpose. So we gather around screens for now, but more so we gather around the scriptures. Less about the screen and more about the scriptures. Around the Bible, we continue to read it, to study it, to let the truth of God's word work renovation in our hearts and minds. And God has ordained that the ordinary and regular reading and studying and preaching and proclaiming of the word of God is one of the primary means of our growth in grace. That's why we're doing this. So we encourage you to invite, gather your family, invite others to join us, join with you in opening God's word, even on Sundays like this. One, we sit under the word of God. Two, We continue to practice the one another passages of scriptures by maintaining connections to people in community. The calling to serve and to love and to bear with and to pray for and to help one another, none of that stops because of social distancing or a stay-at-home order. All the more in a time of forced isolation and loneliness. How might God use the ordinary means of a phone call or a text or a handwritten note to encourage and care for a sister or brother in Christ Jesus. We maintain connections to other people in our communities and in our community groups. Three, we love our neighbors and we seek to serve them in some capacity. What does it look like for you to be proactive and sacrificial in your love for a neighbor? Consider the cards and the other resources that Marty highlighted last week. You can find the links on our Facebook page. They'll be in our weekly update this week. What ordinary neighboring can we do even while we maintain healthy distance practices? We are looking for ways to serve. It's practical and it's ordinary. Four, we look for ways to give and be generous. Now, I know that here in our region, we haven't yet experienced the flood of layoffs and possible um, rise in sicknesses that could very well hit in the next few weeks. And if you give regularly to River City and you can continue to do so, we're grateful and want to encourage you in that. And we as a church and as individuals want to position ourselves so that we can be generous when the needs do come. So 
as a church, we're looking at ways we can free up dollars to help when the need arises. And so what are some small practical ways that you can position yourselves to be generous to meet the needs of others, both practical and financial, if and when they do come? We look for ways to be generous. Five, we lean in to redeem our time to pursue pursue personal and, if you have a family, family discipleship. What are some of the areas the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction? Areas you desire to grow? Perhaps now is the time to look at some of how our time is being spent and where our priorities lie. Ask God, what are you doing in my heart right now? What are you saying to me right now? What are you up to in our family? Maybe it means opening God's word for a few more minutes or reading a psalm on Thursday nights after dinner and then joining in as a family to to the worship live stream we've been posting on Facebook the last few weeks that Kyle's been putting together and have some family worship together. We lean in. We're redeeming the time that we have to pursue personal, spiritual, and family growth. And getting back to where we started this morning, the last one is this. I want to call us, River City, to prayer. The world does seem crazy. There is a news conference and a new chart every single day. And each day seems like an emotional week. So where do we turn and what do we do? There's a quote attributed to Martin Luther that says, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. And there's something here, isn't there? It's not spectacular. It's not complicated. Our master, Jesus, invites us into something very ordinary. Time spent with him. And through these ordinary means, by the power of the Spirit, he accomplishes something supernatural and extraordinary, both in our hearts and miraculously through our hands and through our words. We, ordinary you and ordinary me, have been invited to serve as agents of hope and help, as ambassadors of Jesus, as ministers of the gospel of reconciliation. Friends, I am convinced, I am convinced that God is at work in all that is happening. He is doing things. So in this, let's pursue him together and join him where he's working. Amen? And amen. Let's pray.